If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. You're listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Quentin D'Souza. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks for joining us again today. We have another exciting show for you with, filled with like some real estate nuggets of wisdom. And uh, someone who's going to be bringing some of those nuggets is none other than Quentin D'Souza sitting here with me today. How are hey. you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, man? I, I am, I'm awesome. I just finished a uh, workout this morning, did my legs, and uh, I'm raring to go. Yeah. Quinn's on fire this morning. He's just been going off before we started recording. So um, uh, it's going to be a live one today, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got, I mean, I've got a ton going on. Like I just finished a CMHC refinance on a, uh, an eight unit property. We did a bit uh, like about 250K equity takeout. And I uh, finished a couple of other CMHCs that we um, we refinanced the beginning of January. I'm working on another CMHC refinance on a building in March. Um, you know, lots of changes going on too. We just found out uh, that we have new trust rules in uh, Canada that we have to follow. So all our joint venture agreements, we have to do a, a T3 uh, form plus a T3 schedule that um, identifies all the partnerships and who owns what and how much and, and all of that. So that's a new ruling that's come into play as of uh, December 31st and has to be done as of uh, April, uh, beginning of April. So I think uh, March 30th. So it has to be submitted by April 1st. And the penalty is huge. It's like yeah. 5% 5 of the actual asset. So you know, some of our, like, I've got 25 apartment buildings and, you know, one, one building could be like, let's say it's $15 million. 5% of that is gigantic for a penalty. Yeah. So nobody wants to mess that sort of stuff up. So, yeah. You know, and is that for, is that for, can you clear that up? Is that for anyone with a partnership? Even if it's a small joint venture partnership, you've got to file that. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you need to talk to your your accounting professional. But from the advice that I have been getting, it has a lot to do with any sort of trust agreement that you have. So just say, you know, you're, uh, let's say you're helping your elderly parents, and they put you on their title, uh, you have a bare trust. Uh, based on that, just because you were helping them to pay their bills and things like that, that's still a bare trust. Or in the case of like real estate investors, maybe you have one partner that's on title and another partner that's just in a joint venture agreement and not on title, that's considered a trust agreement. And uh, so now you're going to have to file that. Um, and uh, so for the accounting firms, it's more money for them. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. but once, like, just like the underutilized housing tax that kind of came in last year, um, you know, they were trying to get this done for the last two years and they finally implemented it this year. Who knows what happens at the end of March if they push it off or, or whatever. But, um, you know, that's definitely a lot more paperwork that has to happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and 
I've got a I've got a Durham REI meeting tomorrow night, so I'm I'm just preparing my keynote for that. Um, you know, getting ready, talking a lot of uh, macro. I've been looking at some of the numbers, and uh, single family home construction and permits are down like significantly, and um, there are just not anything in the pipeline in two or three years. We had a big influx mostly of condos coming into the market in 2023 and completions. But, you know, from last year to this year, we all know that construction in Ontario in particular, but uh, in different provinces takes a, a lot of time, uh, different amounts of time. In Ontario, it takes forever. Uh, it takes years in some cases. And uh, although many levels of government want to, to be, oh, yeah, we're, we want more housing, uh, you know, what often happens is it takes forever to get it done. So if you look at some of the numbers, like Benjamin Tal said that CMHC had underestimated their numbers in the millions. So, um, uh, you know, that was a recent article, but uh, I mean, I'll have to pull that out uh, um, and uh, and share it too. But uh, it's it's crazy. So, um, you know, my uh, I've been telling people and, and you know, survive to 2025, but maybe buy more in 2024. <laughs> right? So I like the little uh, rhyme. Yeah. But I'm going to so mute I, my mic while I bang my head on the table about that information that you just told, you know? Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who can't see this, and, and that this may be, so this is a result of you pulling all that money out of the building you were just talking about. I think he's got way too much money because Quentin bought a bobblehead Rob. And, uh, and, and anytime I talk to him now, little bobblehead Rob has something to say. So, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be the best. I love this. <laughs> hopefully he's, hopefully he's, you know, not the like little, I don't know. Hopefully he's a good influence, not a bad influence. Oh, but you, anyway, you, way too much money. Good, you've been a good influence. We've had some great trips in Costa Rica. Oh, we had a great trip in Costa Rica. And, yeah. you know, you've really done some amazing things in your life from where I remember you starting to where you are now. So just, you know, and you have a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, like just awesome uh, life. So good stuff on you, man. Yeah, it's been it's been fun and it's definitely been not the trajectory of what I thought it was going to be even like, you know, let's say 10 years ago when we started this. But uh, anyway, um, everyone listening, go over to breakthroughreipodcast.ca, get our free gift, and also uh, go over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. And that'll really help, help us get some great guests on. Let us know what you think about the semi-new format of the show. And uh and um, and just leave us a review. It doesn't take that long, and it helps out get the get this podcast into the ears of people who want this kind of information, like Quinton just shared there, and uh, like our guest is going to share. Yeah, we so. have we have an awesome uh, guest today. So um, what what I'd like to do is introduce Dan, and uh, um, and I'm going to butcher his last name, so he's going to have to help me. Uh, I, I know him because of uh, his connection with a, a landscaping company that's all over our neighborhood. But uh, it's uh, Dan Hogenberg. Yeah, that's right. Woo! Dan Hogenberg. Daniel is a licensed builder 
focusing on building his business around the new opportunities presented by policy changes encouraging intensification in existing neighborhoods. Daniel's business, North Lakes Development and Construction, builds properties for themselves and joint venture partners, as well as clients. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on the show. So um, where we usually jump right into real estate and asking the background of what, you know, um, how you got to where you are kind of thing. I also wanted to start talking to people about what they've done with the freedom and and perks that real estate affords them. So tell us a little bit about yourself as a person. Yeah, so I haven't really done very much in terms of the freedom real estate has provided us at this point. We're a little bit earlier in our career. We Where it, where it has helped is when we took over my parents' landscape construction company, they the sale of their business fell through and they approached myself and my brother-in-law to see if we wanted to purchase it. So we purchased it and we noticed that a number of divisions were actually operating at a loss. So we had to change our business quite a bit and the insurance is actually increasing over the next few years for snow removal. So we, we kind of tried to come up with a solution and we discovered real estate investing. So we thought, why don't we start doing this in the winter time to keep our, our guys busy and we'll do landscape construction in the summer. And that way we can also start building some wealth for ourselves. So that's sort of where we got started. We started purchasing duplexes with our, with our own money. And over the years, it kind of grew. So uh, last year we were able to sell off all of the portions of the business that weren't operating at a, a profit. Now we were able to switch to where it was landscape construction in the summer and real estate in the winter. This year is the first year we're doing real estate all 12 months of the year, as well as doing landscape construction. So I guess a roundabout way what real estate did is it allowed us to get out of some unprofitable businesses. But at this point, we haven't taken a lot of time for ourselves because we have a fairly large business and we wanted to make sure that it was functioning well before we started using the freedom that real estate was going to provide. We're getting in well, that stage now, but uh, not at the beginning. Well, I think that's exactly it, though. It's not always just, you know, I go tap dancing on Tuesday night because now I can afford to. Um, it's just that you were able to analyze the business and restructure it in some way because of uh, what real estate did for you there. So that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I, mean, um, I, I remember too when I when I was at the beginning, two thousand and four, two thousand and eight. I mm -hmm. felt like I had like, you know, three jobs. Like mm -hmm. I was I was working like uh, going to work as a teacher during the day, and then you know at four o'clock I would be with my family, and then like I would be doing real estate uh, as soon as the kids were in bed until like eight until like midnight, and then do it all again the next morning, right? Like was yeah. uh was a slog at the beginning for the first you know five years right mm -hmm. but, but well but then, you know they then yeah. they say <laughs> use your current position to get into the position you want to be in right Correct. i think that's think and grow rich isn't it um and so like yeah like that is the trajectory that everyone should try to be on so when i was starting i was using every moment of my free time to learn about real estate 
so that I could get into it, right? And and eventually transitioned out of that and into new careers along the way. So um, yeah, good piece of advice there. Yeah. So uh, why why do you like small developments so much as an investment strategy? Yeah. So I really like small developments as an investment strategy because it fits really well with our existing business model where we have a lot of in-house employees. So on the smaller scale, oftentimes if you're using subs for the whole thing, it's going to actually mean that the project's going to take quite a bit longer. So it actually is advantageous to have a lot of the people in-house. And then on the, on the other side, sort of on a, like a life philosophy side, because a lot of us who go into real estate you're going to achieve financial independence fairly early or you already have. I didn't really want to pursue something for, for my career where it wasn't really going to be a positive for everyone who's involved. And it's hard to say that this type of business isn't positive for, for all parties because the municipalities need this to be done. Yeah, tenants like to have great new units. You know, uh, Your investors can get good returns as well and you can as well. And it's, it's really satisfying seeing something that you've worked on for a long time kind of come to fruition and actually be brought to life in the real world. So I really enjoy that portion of the, the business as well. It's so, interesting how you transitioned out of the snow removal stuff, because I, I, I had a I, I got to say, I had a colonoscopy last week and, and paying my snow removal bills is kind of like a colonoscopy. Okay? Like it's <laughs> brutal. So. Yeah. Like, and I, and I'm, I'm paying it all like for all the buildings. Like it's, it's, it's painful. Why the, why is it so expensive for insurance? Why, why is it? Cause that's, that's what I get from all the snow removal companies. And, you know, like, this is something that I'm dealing with all the time. In fact, this year, I like it snowed like once and like the contracts that I have, like I'm paying like tens of thousands. I'm thinking I could have bought a truck. I could have hired somebody and I could have just sub subbed it out myself, right? Like for the amount that I'm paying across the portfolio. Like what why is that? What's what's going on there? Sorry, it's a little yeah. different, but it, it's just the insurance prices are so high because that they didn't have a lot of protection from from slip and falls. So the, the rules are starting to change a little bit. Now people only have just recently when we got out of snow, they only have 60 days to, to sue for a slip and fall, but beforehand they could sue whenever they wanted. So uh, you had to keep reserves for whenever you got sued. And even if you didn't lose the, the suit, your insurance premiums would go up. So for any company at any size, we got sued every year. And so that when you're, when you're in that sort of position, your insurance rates go up. So we had, when we got out of snow, our insurance dropped over $100,000 a year. Right. And I can see why just in that there's hidden stuff under the snow. You know, it's slippery. Even if, it, if it's like vehicles, you're, you're bumping into things sometimes and, and all that kind of risk that there is with that. Um, I wanted to ask you before we move on, though, what type of small developments are we talking about? Yeah, so I've I'm primarily worked on I've worked on coach houses. I have a, a bunch of triplexes that are coming down the line. Uh, I also have. A are you building houses. those from the ground up? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we got six scheduled. I think six scheduled for this year. I'm not sure. I have to look back, but 
And we have a few small apartment buildings as well. So six plexes and seven plexes and looking at different projects in that, in that sort of space. What area are you focused in? Uh, primarily Durham region. Okay. That's interesting, man. That's a lot going on, you know? Yeah, I think this year is going to be a, a big year for us. We currently have 24 units scheduled to start construction in 2024. So it should be, it's grown quite a bit, our business to this point. We're going to be pretty, pretty busy with shovels in the ground this year, but it's going to be, going to be exciting for sure. That's so 24 interesting. 24 and 24. That's wow. like a saying that you would have, Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's building more in 24. So, <laughs> but the, um, I, I think that, that well, like, how did the, how did the numbers actually work on that? Like I'm always a numbers guy when it comes to this sort of stuff. So if you're, if let's say you bought like um, a single family home and you're mm -hmm. converting it up to, or, or let's say a single family, or you have an existing duplex and you're converting it up to a, a triplex or a fourplex, how does it, how do the numbers translate? Like, do you, do you end up with a cash flow positive product where you wouldn't have before why is it so appealing to to do this you can definitely end up with a, a cash flow positive product and now with different options as well you can end up with completely changing your financing structure which gets you into commercial financing so you can get up to your 50-year amortization on on those products as well and um and lower interest rates so kind of mixing the two you can end up being fairly cash flow positive and often we're finding that uh, the values of the buildings are high enough we can pull all of our all of our capital out ah so you're doing a full burr on an existing like on a new construction project are, are you so are you doing like when you're when you're saying that are you doing mli select which is a, a cmhc build product that's out there that allows for 50-year amortizations and you can you know use different components of it in order to get that sort of financing um which one component would be like affordable housing but another component could be you know um uh just like uh what are the other two it's like uh, uh, ener energy efficiency and accessibility are the other two Right. So is that what you're using in order to 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 do that full pullout and the 50 year AMS? Yeah, some of them, not not every product that we're building, we can do that. But it is definitely something that we're watching for that that would be an ideal project is if we can get get commercial, uh, they just work out a little bit better. And it, it's easier as well, where you're saying, where you might not know exactly what the value are in some of these, like if you do a duplex in a coach house, there's not a lot of comparable so you don't know what the the number is going to come in at but if you go commercial you i you know your rent numbers you know what your utility costs are going to be it's a lot easier to figure out what that end value of your your build is going to be so you feel more confident going into those ones uh knowing what your your end value is going to be and how much money you're going to be able to pull out can you explain to everybody the difference between that one to four unit versus the five plus and how that value comes about? Yeah, for sure. So one to four unit is all basically a comparable approach. So it can be great 
Um, like we were finding with duplexes, it was pretty easy a few years ago to, to pull all your money out. But right now we're in a funny spot a little bit where like, uh, let's say a top up or, or a duplex in a coach house, there aren't really a lot of comparables for it. So when you're the first into the market, a lot of appraisers are going to give you lower values. So it ends up being more of a challenge to pull your money out because there's not really any sold comparables. Now it's starting to get a little bit better than it was uh, a few years ago. I did my first ones a, a while ago. I got some that I just finished now and it's better now than it was 12 months ago. And it will probably be better again at 12 months from now, but it is still a bit of a challenge. Whereas with five plus units, you can get commercial financing and commercial financing is based off of your net operating income. So because you can figure out what your rent number will be and you typically are going to know what your, your tax is, your insurance is going to be, your utility costs. You can get a pretty good idea going into the project what your final value will be. So it's a lot easier to step into that project knowing what uh, what your end value will be and, and going in with confidence essentially. Yeah, a little tip there. Um, cause I've been looking at this, I've got, I've got 13 duplexes and, um, I've been looking at doing, uh, exactly, uh, one of these where, and actually Dan helped me identify it, which was awesome. Uh, thank you, Dan, um, right. where we're, where we're splitting the lot and we're looking to, uh, and we have a detached, uh, duplex on there and we're looking to do another, uh, three units on the back so that we could make it into a four units uh, semi on one side, four units semi on the other. The challenge that we have with CMHC is that they want both sides of the building to look exactly the same. And um, so we may not be able to do the CMHC financing. It's always these little particulars that like little things, but well, if what's if, the reasoning behind that? Why do they have to look the same? Yeah, is because that like a heritage because, thing, or I don't know, because the CMHC? federal government isn't talking to CMHC enough to tell them we need more housing, and we have to be a pain in the butt. So that no, I don't, I don't know. No, I'm it's just a, curious. Like yeah. it, that doesn't even make sense because ultimately it could be two different, completely different projects, unrelated. In which case they wouldn't say you have to. Your house has to look exactly like your neighbor's house. It's the, you know, like, I know. And the point is we're trying mm -hmm. to create more rental housing. That's the bottom line. It's not about like whether the finance, like if you want, if the, the problem with building is that the financing doesn't make sense. And if you, and the cost of construction is a problem. So if you, if we don't have financing and it's not profitable, people aren't going to build. And, you know, this is a great tool. In other in in the U.S., they have mm. a plethora of other products. They have lots of different ways of doing it. In Canada, we have CMHC. So you know. Um, anyways, that don't get me started on this. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. But 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 Dan, it, it sounds like you've got a real interesting system going on here with all those builds. Um, you know, you must see lots of different opportunity right now. I see a lot of opportunity in the market right now. Um, there's a lot of projects that are in that style that I see where there's more than what I can purchase for sure. They should find new ones pretty much every day. But the real opportunity I see is where, like you had mentioned earlier, the we've seen the house values compress significantly over the last few years. And 
we're getting the different levels of government are implementing changes to increase the value of the land because you can build more on it. So we saw Bill 23, we are seeing a lot of secondary plans, which is where the municipalities are upzoning certain sections of the, the land that they have, where they're going to be allowing like three or four stories as of right. Um, they're going to be having where it's like low rise apartment buildings or mixed use buildings. There's huge sections of municipalities that are getting uh, essentially upzoned where you don't have to pay for it right now. And a lot of them are going to be finished in 2024 or early 2025. And the large properties in those areas are still priced the exact same as a property that has no further potential, which is crazy because most people don't really still sit, don't see the value in land. So that's sort of where our type of business, we can kind of come in and, and purchase those properties and take advantage of it. So that's really find something I find pretty interesting. The other thing I found interesting was uh, I just read a news article the other day where Windsor got denied federal funding from the Housing Affordability Task Force because they weren't allowing four units as of right throughout all of Windsor. Uh, so they got denied $70 million from the federal government. Now, they were going to hit their housing targets with their proposal, but they still denied them because they weren't going to allow four units as of right everywhere. So it'll be really interesting to see if they use that uh, sort of carrot and the stick approach to get it to where it shows up in more municipalities. It's definitely not a for sure thing, but it's an interesting signal that we got in the market just, just recently to see where things might end up. Yeah, municipalities are the problem. They are the they are the big problem. I I, I mean, like you, you can say something at the federal level and the provincial level, but if the municipal isn't on board, you're not going anywhere fast. And this is why, like in in Edmonton, you can get a project done and started in six months, and in Toronto, it takes four years or five years. Yeah, right. Well, that's, yeah, that's the really interesting thing about the secondary plan changes is because theoretically with some of these properties you can skip right to building permit so wow. i i have one property like that where i purchased it zoned for a sixplex but the owner didn't know you could put a sixplex on it so i got it at a good price and all i did was get building plans one minor variance and we're good to go so it was like less than a year to get that ready but they're rezoning huge sections of the municipalities to allow for that so there's going to be a chance for a lot of small apartment building developments to have their timelines cut significantly in the next couple of years here so that's the other big sort of opportunity with what's coming forward you know what you know what they call that in in like the stock market they call that insider trading <laughs> well, because, I remember, and it's legal. It's legal, and you know, this is you using your skills and right. you know doing that. Yeah, I remember specifically when I was wholesaling a long time ago, and everyone wanted properties where you could put a basement apartment in, right? But at the time, in the municipality where I was, that you had to look at the zoning, right? It wasn't opened up, and then just like, and then a little while later the entire municipality opened up to two units and it was like, you know, it was like just beautiful. It was a beautiful thing yeah. at that point in time. 
So this is along the same lines of everything getting up zoned. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and and it goes to the that value of that detached house that that that's existing there, the additional value that that has now, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't think people understand that in a couple of years from now, like that's that's going to be golden. Like some of those those lots are going to be golden. Um, yeah. And if you can hold on to them, you know they're going to have some serious value. So the the challenge right now is a lot of people, especially once interest rates come down again, I think that a lot of people are going to to dump their properties, especially the ones that have a lot of equity. Because I see investors, I talk to, I talk to hundreds of investors, right, all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, just in different places, because this is what I do. And, um, you know, a, lo a lot of them who have three, $400,000 in equity and zero cash flow are getting older. And they're like, why am I doing this? Right? Why not just sell these? I feel these? that way too. Yeah, sometimes. sell these. Yeah, no. <laughs> and you, like, it, it's a reasonable feeling. Take the, the money and then like do some private lending at 10%. And now you have, you know, three, 4,000 in, 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 uh, cash flow and you have you know not the same type of headaches nothing is you know uh passive truly passive but uh i mean you at least you're you're doing things differently and you're you're not worried about you know all the different things that happen with the landlord tenant board and, and all that stuff so i i have a feeling and then what's going to happen is those you're those are going to go back into the residential market and you're just not going to have as many opportunities to be able to, you know, uh, to utilize and and con convert and and do what we're doing as investors, because, you know, what they do in Canada, right? They vilify investors. We're all evil, right? Like that's what it is. And you know, we're not we're not trying to create you know rental housing. That's that's the that's the you know I think that's an an issue really because if we really wanted to 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 help people create more rental housing we would celebrate investors more instead of what we do in in the media and and um you know in politics and stuff like that but anyways that's my my two cents that's that's my last soapbox i promise where's the investor red carpet quentin <laughs> i don't know it's probably in other countries it's in the u.s that's for sure so i wanted here. to go so so but the other thing too quentin like you said is like you know, if someone gets to that point, you have to get to that point first before you can sell off your portfolio and start doing private lending, obviously. And there's a, and, and what we're doing here is teaching people how yeah. they can get to that point eventually at some time. And uh, one thing yeah. that I wanted to ask is, so we're talking about these incredible opportunities that are sort of around the corner. What, what, what is it like, what do people look for? What, how can they um, identify these type of properties that are going to be valuable? Tell us your secrets. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it depends on how point. much work they, they want to put into it. So essentially, if, if you can buy a property with a lot of extra land, that's going to be that's in an urban residential area. That's going to be a benefit because almost certainly something is going to be helping you out there. But if you, essentially when you're trying to figure out what you can do with the property, you can look at like the golden, a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of different planning um, documents that say what they're going to be doing 
in let's say any area but let's say in ontario so you have like the golden horseshoe plan and then you have the durham region plan you have oshawa plan you go even deeper you have secondary plans and you have area plans and you can read all of these and you can get keep narrowing down and the more information that you have the better chance that you're going to find one of those properties that's that's gold so you, like i was looking at a property let's say that was zoned r1 so you could just build a duplex on it but it was right outside of a downtown urban center so it was one property over from the high density area in a municipality that i was looking at so i've already worked in this municipality i know that when i'm just outside the high density zone i was able to rezone an r1 to an apartment building so it's where my seven plex is going to be so they okay this is getting sold as as best a duplex but I actually can put 12 units here without assembling anything. So you can, when you put things together and you start to get them, when you start reading those plans and start working in the space, you get a good mental map of what's possible on those, on those properties. Hmm. So do you, do you, do you look for like corner lots and parking as well, or just the size of the lot is like. Typically, typically our, our process, it would be find a property that has, where we think that has potential typically what we'll do from there is we'll create a, a site plan in-house so the site plan will tell me how big of a building i can build how many parking spaces i'm going to get and then it'll tell me how many variances i'm going to need in order to get this project to come about from there i can figure out what my end value of the property is because if you're let's say going to build a sixplex, but you're only going to have six parking spots versus you can build a sixplex and you have 12 parking spots. Well, the value of that property is pretty different and you can't figure that out without your site plan. So you do the site plan, which then tells you, then you can do your numbers. From your numbers, you work back and you can figure out what you can offer on the property. So mm -hmm. that's essentially our process. Do you, do you target like a certain lot size? Like, listen, I'm not that smart. So I, I need like, give me a number. Like, am I looking for 80 foot lots? <laughs> am I looking for 100 foot It, it depends, you know, depends on what strategy you're Come on, you're, give, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> well, it's so like if when you're, people if you're doing like it small, people... like if you're talking to most of the people who are going to be starting this, if you um, want to do coach house, let's say, as your first one, you probably want to be 500 square meters or over. You can do it underneath 500 square meters, but if, a good rule of thumb would be about 500 square meters. You can probably get a coach house there. You still would probably want to do a site plan because not every lot's the same. It depends on where all the different pieces are. Um, corner lots are better for sure because when you have different parking requirements and lot coverage requirements, if you have to bring your parking into the backyard, you're going to use up a whole lot of space on asphalt, which is if it's a corner lot, you can just pop a second driveway right off the side. So you're going to have a lot more space for, for amenities and for your your coach house, let's say, or whatever you're building. And as you go into different sizes and different projects, the things that you look for keep changing, but essentially that's that's sort of what you're looking for. Do you only do on-market uh, purchases or have you done any off-market purchases with your own marketing? Uh, both, done both. Yeah. With, with this opportunity, you don't really, I, I found that I find more of them on market because there's a higher volume of properties and there's still a lot of information asymmetry for people who know what they're looking for 
versus your your average realtor, your average person selling. So every every day I can find a property that I can fully burr from from doing a development pretty much. So, so you don't the market the, the property doesn't have to be for sale. You can oh I mean or... like on sale like on the market I can pretty much find one. Oh uh, yeah, but, anytime but I look. Much. I guess the point I was trying to get to though too is that you know the the property doesn't necessarily have to be for sale. You oh, can no. go and if you find something that would be a good opportunity and it's not for sale, you can go there many ways to find out who owns the property and get in touch with them and ask them if they want to sell it. Yeah. Um, sure. And one of the things I wanted to mention, Quentin, is we all, yeah, we all want the the magic bullet, right? Just tell us the answer. It's like <laughs> my, one of the big questions I used to get all the time was, how do you structure a JV deal? You know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, there's the, no answer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that a lot too. But but you know the other thing too is just depending on uh, having a good team of people around you. Like I I'm not that smart, but I have great people around me who who help me, right? And um, you know, and uh, I've like I developed the good relationships with and deep relationships with people, right? Um, and that that helps a, a lot, right? Because it you know those type of relationships, especially if you have a good reputation with them helps you to to be able to do things that normally other people wouldn't be able to do and um and i think that that helps quite a bit but um yeah so i guess that kind of leads us into the next question what are, what are the advantages of having all your own in-house staff there's a lot of advantages to having your own in-house team uh the first story that comes to mind, so we just recently finished a coach house and the week before we were going to have our tenant come in, we had uh, a plumbing inspection and what they do is they do a ball test if they weren't able to check the sanitary line, which the servicing contractor, because the coach houses are tight spaces, instead of taking the dirt away and then bringing it back and putting it in, which is way more expensive, they covered the sanitary line as they were going. And the sanitary line shifted while they're installing it. So when they did the ball test, which is dropping a ball in the sanitary line from the coach house to the duplex. And if you catch the ball, you pass. And if you don't catch the ball, you fail. Wow. We failed because the, the ball never made it to the other side. So failed on Monday. Tenants moving in on Saturday. Servicing contractor can't come back. So we brought our own excavator and our own bobcat and had our own guys there Tuesday, ripped it all up, finished it by, by Thursday morning, had the inspection in and we were able to still have the tenant move in on Saturday because we got our occupancy. So well, there's lots of things like that, that come up um, where scheduling and so forth, where maybe your, your drywaller can't come in when you're ready for them. Well, then you just send your own guys and you, you drywall it. So it, it's much easier to keep your schedules tight and then the and solve issues when you need them solved but also your your team grows with you as well and and they stay in house so if you treat your team well and you keep sending them to these different jobs and they get all these different experiences you end up with a fairly valuable team that can take on quite a few different um challenges as well so that's that's why we really like hiring people instead of doing sub trades the other thing too is when you have an emergency like that, you know, uh, 
no matter who you call. It's like, oh, and here's your emergency fee tacked on to the bill as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. The sanitary contract is actually was was pretty good. So he's he's refunding all the work for us for that one. So he's a he's a good good guy, but uh it, they just couldn't come, right? You can't you can't yeah. solve sometimes yeah. you can't solve issues that fast. So oh, that's perfect. Um so tell us about your construction company. Then you do work for outside uh clients as well. Yeah, we do. So a full sort of spectrum of where we are right now. We have about seven landscape construction crews that work under us. And we have about one irrigation crew as well. We do about 500 irrigation clients every year. We do 100 to 200 landscaping jobs every year. And we've typically been using our landscapers for our, our housing construction at this point, because it's primarily been in, in the winter or now actively starting to hire and build out uh, a construction team on our, our real estate side. Cause this is uh, the first year we've built out 12 months of, of real estate construction. So, and yeah, we do, we do do clients jobs as well. So I have a client's coach house that we're starting next week and they're doing a client's duplex currently. We've done a, a number of house rentals and stuff like that. So, uh, mm -hmm. actively doing other people's projects as well. And what's okay. it, what's your company called? Uh, North Lakes Developments and Construction. Right on. So Thank I you. got a, I, I'm curious about cost per square foot because I, I know it's, it's like saying how, how, like, how long do you want your haircut? Well, I mean, like it depends. Right. But yeah. um, cause like, if, if you're like Rob, Rob's like, what the, <laughs> <laughs> if you're like me i'm like i want to keep as much as i have so yeah. uh so like um you know what what would you say is like you're like give us a range for cost of construction when you're when you're doing like a coach house for example for a client yeah for a client we we're typically in let's say the 250 to 280 range is where we were charging so typically you found with everything put together when they pay for the servicing and the and the um design fees and committee of adjustments and all that stuff they're get, for the ones that we've done they're a little over three hundred thousand, and for that they're getting uh, 660 square feet upstairs and 660 square feet downstairs as well so about 1320 square feet so, yeah, so you can say 320 thousand divided by 1320 i don't have my calculator on me right now but that would be roughly what it is. I think it ends up close to 250-ish or 260 for that. So would you ever do two units in something like that? Like a garden suite? Could you do two units like that? You you could do two units. Well, right now you can't. Like it where where I work in um, Durham region, they don't allow two unit coach houses, but it's we typically we've tried to push the size of the coach houses that we build and add basements. So that way we do have that opportunity in the future where nice. that's, I think that's something that you should be watching for. There's a lot of people who are building coach houses without the basement, which I would not recommend at all because it's not that much more expensive to get your basement in that building versus uh, just doing the top floor and you have further opportunity. Where we're, where we're heading is space is going to be so expensive that anywhere you can add space is going to be beneficial. So you, it, you should definitely put a, a basement in it for sure. 
I like that you're future pacing the development and, um, you know, also income opportunities, right? That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, you know, you're doing these projects for clients and you're also doing these projects for yourself as an investment. And I, I take it that you, you know, you, you, you have different people that you work with in different capacities. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So up to this point, most of the jobs that we've done have been our own where we haven't really had too many joint venture partners or very many clients uh, up to this point, but we just started opening up for that. So let's say at this point, 95% of the work we've done is solely owned properties. And now we're starting to do clients. So we have, um, we had four units that we just did for, for clients this winter. And we're actually getting other people who are contacting us in just for where we do contract work for them or, or building projects. We're also doing joint venture with on, on different builds because like I think I think this is a great time to be purchasing. So if anyone wants to get in and kind of follow the process and and uh, get some pretty profitable projects done, I think it's a really good opportunity. One of the things that people might not think about is with the development, the building portion is quite a bit more expensive or than what it would be in when you're doing your duplex uh, conversion or something like that. So actually partnering with your builder, you can do these projects for significantly less capital than what you can if you're to do it by yourself. And that's just because of how construction financing works because you have to bring a certain portion of equity to the project, but you get to count your project profit towards your equity. So if you partner with your builder, depending on what their overhead chart, what, if they're gonna discount their overhead and their profit, you can bring a significant amount less money to that project. So you might be able to do one of these builds with far less money. Ah, very interesting. Cause it's a game of financing with like bricks kind of thrown in, right? So yeah. this is, this is, you know, real estate development to a T, but, and also sometimes you could consider real estate investing, right? It's, it's really about, you know, financing. Uh, but, um, that's, that's really interesting how you're able to counter the, uh, the, the amount of capital that you need to bring in by, uh, looking at the end value. And, and I'm assuming here that you've done, you know, some videos and you, you're sharing about like the, the buildings that you've been doing. Yeah. Just just getting started on that. So getting my my setup done here. Going to be starting a a YouTube channel shortly. I think we're we're working in an area where I think a lot of people should be paying attention to. So like you were mentioning before, like a lot of duplexes don't really work anymore. So you got a lot of people that are moving into big multifamily or moving to the states where I don't think as many people have looked into this space. But this is definitely a space where you can move to and do quite well as well. So going to be documenting our, our process and showing people what we can do. So then if they're interested in partnering with us or hiring us for, for construction, they get a, a good sense of what, what we can do and kind of make it where people are a little bit less scared getting into this space than what they, what they might be. It is a lot you need to learn for sure if you're going to do it yourself. Uh, I definitely won't say that it's uh, the easiest investment strategy, that's for sure, but it is one where you can 
be quite profitable. Yeah, it's it's interesting to have seen over time how, you know, and I kind of use this again and again, you know, you used to be able to back in 2004 cash flow on a single family home in Pickering. And, um, you know, and then, you know, take that forward, you know, you started to stop being able to cash flow. And now you have to go to like maybe Belleville or Trenton to be able to cash flow in a single family if you could. And then mm-hmm. and then it was duplexes, right, that, that will allow you to do that. Now it seems like you have to actually increase the density to a triplex or a fourplex in order for that same property to, to carry itself, um, you know, yeah. or you have to go further out to, to be able to ha- have that happen. And, um, you know, there's that, that cash flow allows you, allows everybody to hold on to the asset, right? I think yeah. there's a lot of speculation that happens with real estate and um it could put you into a really challenging position you know like especially what's been happening last 18 months with interest rates going up so so much right you get into a position where you're speculating uh that you're i mean truthfully you make wealth in real estate from the value of the property and, and the more it appreciates the 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 better you end up doing cash flow you know doesn't you know it's great but it doesn't it doesn't drive your wealth very much a couple hundred dollars you know doesn't really drive your wealth but having you know two or three or four hundred thousand dollars does right but you just don't have the access to it it's interesting the way that you're doing it is that you're using sweat equity and your insider trading in order to increase the value and make something cash flow positive in areas where normally you couldn't do that today right so that's a i think that's like a really neat way of of doing it and you know you have to have the patience and the like um you know the the work ethic to be able to do that right it takes it takes um cojones can i say cojones <laughs> on this podcast take some cojones to do that yeah. uh you know you you got to um say whatever you want <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah, you got you got to be able to to do that, and, and dealing with municipalities and and inspectors and trades and having you know your own staff, that's 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 uh, commendable <laughs> for sure. But for somebody who's just you know starting out in this space, what what kind of like um, like what would you for those type of people like what, what kind of uh, help or um, advice would you give them? The advice for someone who wanted to do this themselves, I would, what I would first tell them is probably to, they have to kind of take a step back to think about what's actually the fast way to get through these projects. Because a lot of people that I've talked to are very gung-ho and because it's a very different rhythm development and new construction than doing flips or are doing duplex conversions where people with those are like, all right, we're going to line up to make sure that we have a permit the day that we close and go, 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 go. Well, that doesn't work in development at all, pretty much. What what you have to think about is something that uh, the Marines have told themselves is like slow it, or slow is steady and steady is fast. And that is the way to get through a development. It is with making sure that you don't forget any steps and making sure that every step is done correctly the first time, because if you make a mistake, like 
we had one where our planner made a mistake on our, on our first one. So when we were learning, we, we've done a, we've done two and a half years of this learning and and uh, difficulties. Our our planner forgot to sever one of our properties and applied it as a two um, two triplexes as one apartment building. And to fix that problem, it's cost us nine months. So like, so when you think of that's where the slow is steady and steady is fast. When you get to that point, when you're doing your application, you better have everything right because if it's not, it's going to cost you. So very different in that sense. Um, the other thing would be, I would strongly advise joint venturing with someone who's done it before or paying for a good amount of coaching or being around people in this space for a good amount of time before you get into it because there are a lot of pitfalls and there is a lot to learn in order to be able to, to do this well. Like it's not the same as you can go on one or two uh, walkthroughs with a, a realtor where you can kind of have a good idea of what, uh, what properties work for a duplex. It's definitely a few steps beyond that. So take the time. If you want to do it, you need to be ready to take the time to learn. And um, yeah, that's essentially what I say. Be, be careful. Make sure that you've, you uh, know what you're doing before you get into it. And that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think knowing what you're looking for is one of the key things too, because, you know, and not, not all agents are built equal either, right? So some of them might not see the potential in, in the property that you can see, having the yeah. knowledge and, and going through the experiences that you have. So I think that's a really important key component to all of this is being able to identify what you can do with that property. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> well, man, we have learned a lot. <laughs> we learned Quentin wants longer hair, rock star hair. <laughs> well, not your hair, that's for sure. No. Although this is looking pretty good, right? um yeah you got good facial hair i gotta say you got good thank facial you hair. yeah thank you thank you i mean that's that's why the bobblehead has that really great you know beard yeah that's and chiseled yeah, it's just look at the chin on that bobblehead man that's awesome it's so funny like i honestly you you when you sent me the first video of that or whatever i was like okay well that's got to be somebody else but it does look like me like who is it and he's like no it's you are you kidding? I took your picture off of Facebook and I and uh, some images off the beach and I got it got it done, man. I'm starting to get worried. Uh, you know what? I, I think I, I think that there's like one of the things like I'm, I'm always learning and, and, you know, growing and stuff like that. And, you know, I do things for people um, because I think that you create deeper relationships with people by doing it. And, um, you know, I've always done things like that, that, and it, it seems so si simple, but like, you know, every time you see this, you're going to remember, and, and you put, made it a sticker on your, I did make it a sticker, you know, I, so I you're going to everybody, you're going to send it to everybody, but like, that's the thing, right? Like I, I, uh, I mean, there's a, a really great, uh, investor. His name is Arlen Dolan out in Edmonton. And I, I compiled all his Facebook posts into a book. And I made him a physical copy of a book and I sent him like a hundred copies of it to give away. Wow. Right. I like, um, 
uh, Russell Westcott, another really great investor who's impacted me. These people have impacted me, helped me in my life, right? I, I sent him $150 uh, worth of meat because he used to say what he was presenting on, you know, raising capital and investing and stuff like that. He would, he would say, I'm giving you all the meat and no potatoes. And I remembered that, <laughs> right? So, you know, and th things like that, like, you know, we, you know, I think these little things, what we do to create a deeper impact, you know, with people around us, because how many people have asked me to go for coffee or, or buy me dinner? Like every every week I get people that, that want to do that or they, they say, you know, thank you, right? Great. But like, you know, we want to, if you want to create an impact, you got to do things differently. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think that this, it's, there's, a, there's a good book called uh, Gift, Giftology. And, um, you know, about buying gifts that create impact. Um, and I, I, I can't remember the name of the author, but we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, and uh, the, the, I think that that's these little things are helpful, especially when you're trying to create relationships with people. So it's just a bobblehead, but this guy is going to like Rob is going to remember this guy every time he sends the sticker. Yeah. OK, tell you what. The challenge is you have to get a bobblehead for every single one of our guests. Uh, no. <laughs> no. No, sorry. Not, well, it could, uh, well, I don't know. I, I guess you could do that. It depends on how, like how, how you wanted to do it. I, I've, I've been on podcasts where people have sent me like mugs with my name on it. Yeah. And, but like, I, I have got like a pile of mugs. I just, like my wife said, stop, stop bringing mugs home. And like, I literally get them and I throw them out. Like, what am I going to do with it? Like, right. So there's certain things that I, I think, I mean, I'm going to cherish this bobblehead, you know, but like, I, like it, it just depends on, on what it is that you, you're, you know, what we could do it. Quentin is like, if you have stuff like that, we could give the, we could do giveaways too. Well, I got lots show. of books. We'll have to have some kind of a challenge though. You know, it can't just be for free, right? They got to bring, bring their A game in some way. We'll figure that out. We got to do yeah. some, Sandy and I had some contests before uh, too, and that was fun. Yeah. So um, you know what? Write us a review. The best review that we get uh, between now and the next show gets one of Quentin's books. Absolutely. You can pick. I've got six of them. <laughs> you can buy it on Amazon or you can write a, a quick review uh, for us on the um on uh, the, where on, on, <laughs> on iTunes. Perfect. Yeah, go to iTunes like I say at the beginning of every show and write us a write us a review. And write us another one under a different name if you've already done it to be <laughs> eligible for the contest again. But uh Dan Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it for sure. Yeah. You, and you how can, can people get great. in touch with you? Yeah, they can send me an email at dan at northlakesdevelopments.ca. They could reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram and I'll get back to them there. So. And what is it? What, what handle do you have on Facebook? Uh, dan Hogenberg for Facebook. And I believe it's the same for, for Instagram. I also have 
North Lakes Developments uh, on Instagram as well, so they could reach out there as well. Okay. Yeah, because you might you might mess up the spelling of. Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say, yeah, go ahead, spell your name for everybody. Yeah. Dan. So my last name is H O G E N B I R K. Perfect. Thanks a lot. And uh, Quentin, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can go to uh, quintindesouza.com and you can connect with me there or go to uh, QMANREI on Instagram and um, you know LinkedIn or whatever. I'm everywhere. I got a link tree too, but okay. You know, just come to the next episode. We, we can, we can uh, connect there. Oh, perfect. And you know, one last comment I want to make before we sign off here is that um, when you buy here in CR, there is absolutely zero snow removal charges ever. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to point that out. Oh, good. Cause I don't want another colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Everybody go out there and take some action, write us that review, enter the contest and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.